The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material, a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm the kid. This is episode number 200. I could say it. I promise I could say it. Number 258. Take two. Because <laughs> we fucking lost one last week. If you are listening to this and wondering why there wasn't an episode last week, I will say that we did record one for you, and it was very good. Oh, it was awesome. You're just going to have to imagine it, because it was also uh, an audio fail. We unfortunately do not have that episode to share with you. I hate when that happens. It might, was lost to the techno gods. I might share it if, if you're a patron and you really want to hear it. I might share it locked under Patreon. Or something because I just can't put it out for public consumption because you can hear everything, you can understand everything. It just it's not an easy listen. It just it's it's distorted and not good. It's good hot. conversation though. It's too hot. And Joe couldn't. I mean, it's super well, hot. <laughs> actually, because I had enough people, I didn't ask Joe this week. So I was going to say, and Joe couldn't be here this week to reprise. <laughs> Vanessa could be here. They, they were there last week and, and didn't make it this week. But you know that's not their fault. Um, and I can be here, and I and, couldn't be here last and, week. And then so. I got the Jasons. I got I got Jason. I got the kid. We're good. Yay. I, I think this is um, a. I, I want to make some sort of uh, chemi- chemistry related joke here that I can't quite find, but I also know that no matter what, this is a volatile chemical in this room. So the catalysts are strong here. Mm. What? J2 rich is a bad chemical? Is that what you're saying? J2 now? rich? Uh, probably. Oh, too rich, that's for sure. Well, always. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap. So I, I'm going to talk about uh, we're going to we're going to a bit of a battle. The, don't even beatbox. That's not what I meant. You know it. Uh, let's <laughs> let's do a battle the settings episode here. Uh, we haven't done that in a while. Uh, cue theme music now. <laughs> Terrible theme music. I got to I got to do something about that. Oh, fire! That I got I got to pay better licensing fees. <laughs> uh, so the which uh, <laughs> <laughs> is a better joke if you listen to the other <laughs> stupid show. <laughs> Exposition Street at expositionstreet.prismaticsunami.com. Uh, so we, uh, we're we going to talk a little bit about Mythic Age Gaming. And the reason for this is because we're currently doing it. Uh, by currently, uh, we've had one session and, and Jason wasn't even there. So we're just getting started in a Mythic Grecian, Greco-Roman style campaign. And this came up because the kid had a harebrained idea that I thought, I don't know if I like that. And everybody around me went, that's an awesome idea. And I went, Okay, I'll come up with something. <laughs> and now and um, there was this entire mm-hmm. campaign source book that was just sitting on the shelf, gathering dust, electronically speaking. You know, I, I like it. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't like it. I have my concerns about coming up with great material, but I think I'm off to a good start. And that's we're 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 going to try to do be a little more collaborative on this so that I can pull information from you guys and we can come up with things right. together. Well, I mean, I like the help. idea and I like the Greek setting. Um I have questions about why we have to actually play the games in the new just because it was historically accurate. Th- that wasn't actually uh decided by the group. Richard, you just came uh, showed up that way and we didn't feel like saying anything. What did I miss last week? I assumed you oh, said you didn't own a toga. Oh, olive oil was on sale. The one, the, the, the one <laughs> game in flagrante delicto, and I'm gone. I. This was not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
just going to take my balls and go home. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> that was the first assassination attempt of the afternoon. Um, so let's let's talk about the actual uh, setting. Historically a bit. accurate. <laughs> so we're not actually playing a game in Greece. We're playing uh, in ancient Greece. We're playing uh, a game in the the Magic, Magic Gathering Theros. setting of Theros, which there is a source book for for D anD D fifth edition. And so we we thought we'd play with that. I originally I had wanted to go ahead and cherry pick some ideas from it and make my own setting because that's usually my approach in these types of situations. Right. I like creating homebrew worlds. The 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 process the, of world building is yeah, a no, huge part of the fun to me. I was totally expecting you to do that. So yeah. I was like, okay, I gotta figure out what I can and can't do with this. But the book is actually it's, it's frankly really good. I mean, the setting is is good, the lore is good. I really the more I kind of read into it to get ideas, the more I kind of wanted to use what they were giving me. Right. So I'm I'm not fine. a fan of the card game and I am into this setting really well, much and I am going to buy the physical book. There there's never been any doubt that the 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 game being what it is or not that the lore is not good. I mean, they've always come up with real almost always come up with really great background ideas and lore for the Magic the Gathering game. And so it's no surprise that they port well into D&D settings. I mean, it's the only surprise is that Witches of the Coast waited until the last couple of years to do it, which is kind of weird. Uh, I feel like they didn't really get their feet under them until Ice Age, but everything since then has been pretty solid. Yeah. Kid, that was in the nineties. Yeah, I was there for that. Yeah, they've 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 had time to I think get, I was still playing at that point. Anyways. <laughs> um but no, it's, it's, but it's still interesting some of the things that do come through. When you look at the way the deities are set up, there's five primary deities. Each of them represent one of the five colors. The other deities are all dual-colored deities. Oh, you, you're talking about measuring uh, ba- back to Magic the Gathering. You're talking about the, yeah, the colors. from the source. I hadn't even paid any attention to that. That's interesting. So it's Not all, surprising. It's all there under it. But you can completely ignore it. It's a really interesting setting, and by the by the same token, I like it because we've been looking at this, and because um, I've been doing Google searches involving Theros and stuff, you know, mining the internet for ideas. Now I'm getting bombarded with ads regarding Magic the Gathering, yeah. and the new set that they're coming out with is Forgotten Realms, <laughs> which means the newest Magic the Gathering set is all D and D stuff. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at that, going. No, I stopped playing this game for a reason. Um, a rent? Yeah, that's one of them. One <laughs> of the big ones. Particularly now. <laughs> cards cost a little more today than they did 20 uh, some <clears throat> years ago. I'm just saying. I, I don't know. Yeah. 25, 20, 24, 25 years ago? 26 You're not years just ago? Slather and butter, brother. <laughs> I stopped playing it unglued. Oh. You missed some great stuff. That was some stuff. funny stuff. The majority of my cards were alphas and betas back in the day, so that's how long ago. Let's see. So what you're saying I is you've been out of the game for a while. I left after the third expansion. Dude, um, let's see. I, they didn't even own D&D at that time. No. No, the TSR buyout wasn't until 99, 98, yeah. 99. Yeah, that pretty much put me off D&D TSR for a decade. still owned. Do you like property. hold a grudge or something? Oh, I'm horrible at holding grudges. No, you're no, good at holding grudges. I was say, that's exactly <laughs> wrong. Well, perspective. Uh, so setting. <laughs> Let's talk about setting because we, we when we'll kid, geek out forever if we don't get interrupted. Kid, kid and I were talking about this yesterday. The, the whole idea of talking about mythic age gaming doesn't necessarily rely specifically on 
uh, Greek mythology as a founding point, right? I mean, there's a lot of different mythic, quote-unquote, eras that we could look at uh, for source material. That one is the first one you mentioned, actually. The Egyptian mythology is great. The Norse mythology has been really hot lately, and I have a background in it. Pretty and, much anything uh, that would have made a great Stargate villain. Indian mythology yeah. is freaking weird. Right. I love it. And I thought um, biblical mythology, Old Testament, that that kind of world, real is wrath of God style, really could, good. You you could run a single deity, but still have the well, where it, they're more active. In it the isn't world. really about the it isn't really about the religion at that point. It's about the world. It's about Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't yeah. you guys read the Old Testament? It's all about Abraham. <laughs> well, and even then, if you're talking about b- the biblical mythos, you're not just talking about the single deity. You're also talking about all of the other worshippers of the competing gods, like all Baal. The world as it was at the time. The world is ba- – so I guess we'd have to say Babylonian. So, so we're talking not mythic religions. We're talking mythic eras, mythic worlds. So, you know, when we talk about that, we're not talking about Greek mythology being all about the gods, although in Greek mythology it is pretty much all about all the about gods. The gods. Yeah. That's and what their, their stories were based around bastard offspring. Their various offshoots. Yeah, that, that was that was the thing. And we've we've seen how that plays out. It actually is a really nice foundation for storytelling, obviously. Uh it, 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 and, and we'll discuss some of those challenges because I have questions. But we have answers. But like uh the Scorpion King is an example of a movie that took place in kind of the old testament world. Yeah. Literally sure. was they they were in Gomorrah. I mean <laughs> Stuff. Oh, that did not end well. <laughs> that place left me salty. <laughs> waka waka. Oh. Uh, so a lot. I try see, not to look back. This is <laughs> definitely the wrong room to bring that up in. Mm. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, so, I mean, you could obviously take it a lot of ways, but I, I would submit that there's another element to it, which is probably what's really most appealing about it is that it's about a style, you know, um, a tone in a game that the mythic feel kind of perpetuates that is different than what we see in typical fantasy. Uh, because it is kind of a variation on fantasy, right? I mean, it's not... Would you, would you call mythic gaming more fantasy or more historical fiction? I mean... That depends on how much credence you place in historical accounts that include mythological elements. And how much actual magic you have in it. A very good point. A very good point. And it, it, it again, and if you're creating a setting in which the gods have real influence in the world, measurable influence in the world, often magical influence in the world, that sets a tone right there. Um, the also, question of magic that's really interesting is like, say, Arthurian legend. I mean, you could play, I mean, Arthurian games have been around forever. Pendragon in the 80s, right. you know, was the penultimate example of that, in my opinion. And it, I mean, the magic was not prevalent in it because magic was very much superstition at the time. Well, it goes back to that sword and sorcery cast where the magic people tend to be the evil people. Yeah, like in Conan. Mm. Yeah. Hyborian Age is a little bit of a mythic style of game, isn't it? As soon as you said Conan, I was like, ooh, that's a good fit. And that's still popular. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, even, uh, who is it? Uh, Modiphius has a Conan 2D20 system out right now that's pretty popular. I know people that play it. And uh, sure enough, I I was talking to my friend James about it when he was getting, he was writing up a character and and he he talked about other people with the character writing up, you know, magic using characters. And I was like, in a Conan game? He's like, yeah. And I said, now wait a minute. Aren't they the bad guys? Yeah. Isn't, you know, magic in, in Hyborian, you know, setting like extremely dangerous or, you know, it, it's only like usually the Lovecraftian mythos. <laughs> only usually, uh, you know, handled by, yeah, exactly. I compared it to, to Cthulhu. 
And he said, well, yeah. And then he got back to me like a couple days later. You know what? I was reading the book. <laughs> oh, my. What a novel concept. Well, uh, he's not running the game. I don't know that he had the book to read in at the time. That's On fair. the other hand. Oh, this is James. He had the book. In the other hand. If you wanted to play in that world and you wanted to create a world where there were a few but very rare positive-driven magic people, that is your right. But yes, historically, sword and sorcery mages are bad. We, we talked about that in the Conan the Barbarian movie review we did on Exposition Street, too, because it had the one guy, the girl's father, who was like a seer or something. And so he had that. He was kind of a priesty guy, but it, it, it intimated that he had magical power. But it right. wasn't like the bad guy. He wasn't as strong. He wasn't as active. It was very limited. Well, and even when you go to Arthurian, when you were talking about that same thing, where the magic users are the bad guys, Merlin. Right. The Put an example of that. There's usually at least one magic user that says, I'm going to be on the right side of things when all of this is over. But yeah. then how does the most of society take Merlin when he's not with the good guys? Superstitiously. Yeah. Superstitiously. He'd and, be the one everybody'd look at when they came in the park. And and so the better stories here. some of the better stories in Arthurian lore that involve Merlin. I mean a lot of, a lot of it points out and I and I don't know how much is considered canonical because Arthurian stories have been have exploded so much from the source work, which I think started with some French monk in like the fourteenth century writing stories or something. But in most of the, in a lot of the Arthurian legends, when you see Merlin, he doesn't do flashy stuff. He isn't out there throwing magic around that people see. He is knowing things and predicting things and doing things or things working out that could be explained by somebody just being mysterious and things working out the way they know they will or manipulating events so that they do. Uh, it's possible that there's not really magic there or the magic in that, in that environment could be treated as very subtle. But here's not fun. Wasn't wasn't that because Anthony Stewart head would kill him? Oh wait, that was a TV series. Never mind. That's one with Sam Neill. No, it was the other one. That's what. But sorry, my brain shut down. Where were we? I don't know. You were going to say something. I was going to let you. We were all going to let you. We were all looking at you expectantly. Oh, that's what fried his brain. Uh, yes, actually. No, I was going to say in the Grecian myth. You do not see much, if any, in the way of magic that isn't either directly borrowed or connected to the gods right? or very mysterious in its source. And in a lot of that, even then, a lot of it comes down to like supernatural creatures and stuff. Well, Circe is the one example I can think of who seems to wield magic that doesn't have a divine source, but she's a evil sorceress. Right, which is reminiscent of like the fates mm-hmm. and, and creatures like that, nymphs. Magical creatures, making Cersei something of a magical creature. I Uh, I dare you to tell her that to her face. (laughs) Well, she's dead and fictional. Um, So there's a lot of uh, a a lot of that in myth. I I I think it it sets the stage. You know, so when you're talking about the gods' involvement, and that's a really good point because especially with Greek mythology, yeah, the gods are always doing supernatural, crazy, weird stuff. But that's because that is the lore. Mm-hmm. And it is the superstition of the time that people would attribute all kinds of shit to the gods, mm-hmm. you know, as part of everyday life. But most of which now we can attribute to science or ancient aliens. Well, either or. And, and then the nowadays, the, wow, that actually brings up another. <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> we could, I'm going to cut this out. We could role play in the era of Xenu. Um, ooh, I am on board. <laughs> Isn't that the John Travolta movie? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> 
You're I was going to bring Battlefield up Earth. On yes. board was funny though, which um, was horrible, but the book was so good. I enjoyed the movie as long as I didn't compare it to the book. But other people didn't enjoy the movie because it was a bad movie, objectively. I rewatched it recently, and it was objectively a bad movie. Yes, yeah, I enjoyed it. I even liked his overacting as Turl because Turl fucking deserved it. Yes. Anyway, not here. I'm cutting all that out. Um, oh, that was good. Oh, okay. I'll leave it in. <sighs> people. He's not like he's going to listen. Yeah, I don't listen to the show. Okay, you can cut out whatever you want. I was only going to cut you out. Okay. <laughs> you won't know. You don't listen to the show. I won't know. I don't listen to the show. And I'm like, hey, why'd you cut that word out? As far as I'm concerned, he could never release them, and I just come in here and hang out and record stuff with you guys. He's well, you can't you. see the screen. You don't actually know that I'm recording. Yeah, it's, it's all theoretical. It's, it's all theoretical until I meet someone and they go, oh, hey, you're the guy on the thing, and my head explodes. Oh, that's right. That I happened. recoil. Jason, to be fair, I would never cut you out of the show. Aww. Just so you know. Kid on the other end. No, I'm, uh, let's see. <laughs> So I listen to the podcast. I'm just, you know, fuck seven years behind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm like two. Uh, so the uh, mythic. Yeah. Let's get back to it. What elements do you feel uh, then make that tone what it is? I just beat my mic while I was talking. Not a euphemism. What elements do you feel make it mythic? Because it is, like I said, different from fantasy in that regard. And we are even, we're good taking this a step further. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons, which inevitably at its core feels like Dungeons and Dragons. But we've only had one session so far, and already it feels different. Different. Although you did but, keep having to amend someone's inventory. But the thing, the thing is, there are higher powers. That does feel like D&D, kid. Just, that, just because that isn't usually the way it works. There are higher powers that influence the world that are active with the heroes. Not active with everybody all the time, everywhere. But with the heroes, they pay particular interest, and that makes that mythic, gives you into those stories. Um, I'm still wondering, like, one of my favorite things from the mythos is the muses, and I have to wonder if that's going to end up being a thing, because I don't know if there's something equivalent to the muses in the source books, although there could be. And, and very well could be in the world whether or not it's written up in the book. I I'm mean, not playing a bard, so maybe it's less important to me. But no, but we know someone who is. Vanessa is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that strumming and singing that she says she's doing constantly, all the time, in every Non-stop. conversation. I, I love I, – she must not have played many bards because I feel like this is her image of the bard. <laughs> Const- cons- really? Because she hasn't tried to sleep with anyone yet. Right? See, so she's missing out part of it at least. Huh. And she's even playing a satyr. Give her time. Give her time. So that was the other thing. The racial uh, limitations, I guess is the right word. The racial selection. Because if you're creating a setting that you want to have a certain tone and quality to it, then the, uh, the, the options that you put into it for characters somehow reflect the world. Right. I when I ran a science fiction game in space and decided that there were no had never been any specific contact with aliens yet, then all the characters were presumably human. Nobody ever questions that because that's the role that's that's the world we're playing in. I didn't have anybody go, Well, I want to secretly be an alien. There's an alien among us. Can I secretly be an alien? Always. But the Sus. Uh, <laughs> the, the <laughs> good call uh and correct the uh 
the the premise though, you know, it wouldn't and, and, and I see people kind of react differently to this in the uh, gaming community, particularly with D and D, which has source books that lay out a number of race, races to start with and classes to start with. And the, gen- the, the the standardized assumption is that these are available. And then additional books will come out and offer more options. And there is a general assumption that these are available. Now, they have, like, limits to that in their organized play, I think. I don't know if they still do, but, like, the Adventures League, you can use, like, the source book plus one of the book for any given, you know, adventure or whatever, or any given campaign. So, like, That's reasonable. You know, and, and and it does create a sense of limitation and puts everybody kind of in a in a very you know specific field. Well, when we did this, we we're like we're playing in a Grecian style, ancient Grecian style game. We're not going to populate our world with elves and dwarves and halflings because it's going to make it feel like Tolkien fantasy instead. Right, orcs. We are instead going to focus on creatures that feel appropriate to Grecian myth, like satyrs and centaurs and um, humans. Oh my! They're mythical and uh, what else? Uh, the, the they have the, the, the Minotaur. The Minotaur, yeah, which is a, a weird, still weird choice for. Which is interesting because you, you consider the heroes as as touched by the deities. The Minotaurs then that are deity touched and become the heroes have different stats from the actual monster Minotaurs that mm-hmm. you can run into later. We learned that because the player race Minotaur does not have dark vision. Actual Minotaurs. Weird do. choice, isn't it? What a weird choice. But well, I mean, the player a, Minotaur hasn't been born and raised in, in, in the a maze. labyrinth, and they were therefore had to adapt to the dark vision. Set on a path for a different journey <laughs> by the deities. Good call. Because that's what they do. Interfere a, constantly. They don't really believe in the deities. The Minotaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Kind uh, of a thing. They're conscientious objectors. The entire premise of that setting, though, is dripped in the gods' involvement in the setting. Well, and one of the things that I really like about Theros that sets it apart from Grecian myth is Nyx. The idea of this divine space that is both set apart and part of the regular world at the same time. Kind of a... I mean, it's part of literally the night sky. Cosmology for this setting, yeah. It's a really cool idea, very novel, and I haven't seen anything quite like it. It's kind of an analog of the whole Mount Olympus kind of summer land kind of, you know, Valhalla kind of... But given a place that has a physical presence in normal mundane reality in that it's literally wheeling above your head for 12 hours out of every day. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And you can literally look up into the heavens. There are people who, you know, in the game world who spend their time watching the the stars for portents and see events of note playing out before you written in the, in the stars, stars, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I I feel like the the one of the neat things about the cosmology in Theros with Nyx and the Underworld is that it's all very playable territory. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, the planes have always had some of that anyway. Even in D anD D, that's that was kind of the point of creating kind of landscape for that. But Nyx is very mutable. It's it's a landscape where uh, stories and ideas take form, and and faith you know describes your your environment, and it's pretty crazy. I like it. It's it's cool. I I we're gonna do something. We're definitely gonna do something with it. I believe you. We, you know, the the new Masters of the Universe cartoon came out, and in five episodes, they went to the underworld and the, uh, you know, Preternia sort of uh, Valhalla-type, you know, hero realm. Spoilers! And, um, what? It's, it's, it's he's not really spoiling anything. Let me tell you. I, I didn't the say who went, is, why, or anything. He's right. <laughs> 
Oh, Kevin Smith. You glorious and, bastard. Um, in fact, all that, I, I knew all that before I saw the show, in fact. It was all out there. Okay. I haven't seen anything yet, and I want Oh, fuck, dude. You got to. I know. It's Watch good. it. And, and there's a lot of people. I've been training around the country. I'm sorry I haven't got it yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people so online who are not happy with the new Masters of the Universe cartoon. Oh, of course not. He's playing with the toys wrong. There, there are people online who aren't happy with anything. He's yeah. taking liberties. There are and people online who aren't happy with online. <laughs> there are people online who aren't happy with people. Oh wait, that's there are yeah. people offline like that. Too. <laughs> the uh, the the thing is that I mean, like anything, when you are expanding on an idea that has so much nostalgia baked into it. You have no choice but to either fail to advance it or grow it in any way or tromp on people's childhoods. Those are your options. And in this case, he tromps a bit, but he's a super fan, so he's playing in nostalgia. You know, I thought I thought Kevin Smith did an amazing job with the show, and I think I, I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I would have expected most fans to. Um, a lot of the people that seem upset with it... Uh, you know, He Man isn't the only prominent character in the in the new series, and um, it is more of an ensemble. Eh, I don't want to get into it, obviously, but uh, because spoilers, people right. are there are a lot of people that are not not. I, I think they feel like that took a lot of power out of the character and his role in you know, which in the cartoon in the eighties it was He Man and the Masters of the Universe. He Man's name isn't in the title of this one, right? Well, this is Masters of the Universe Revelation. But there was that point where I, you know, originally it was the is basically the same cookie cutter arc every time. You just change the colors. Yes, and so every episode was the same thing. And I, I went to go press play on that first episode, and I'm like, if this is just the same thing, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to watch it. And very shortly after pressing play, I'm like. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. They, they, he pretty much dispels ideas as the same thing by the end of episode one. <laughs> they killed off don't, one of my favorite don't. characters from the franchise. Yeah. And I still love it. That's fair. That's fair. I, I did find it interesting. There's also people that really, you know, that really kind of hold up. Um, let's see. And we talked about, talk about this recent, in recent shows in one form or another. The last week's episode, we really kind of delve into it a little bit, which is the one that got lost to Eternity. Eternia. Um, I the, so saw that coming. The uh, the the kind of the the woke idealism of the contemporary era, but really it has to do with co- contrasting the way things are now compared to the way things were in the eighties when the original cartoon came out and the comic book and the toy line and everything that was part of our childhood. But the uh, little things like um, in the new series, there are moments when. There's a, a new character introduced, um, Audra, who's kind of got this sort of, or Andra, Andra, Andra I can't remember, um, who's kind of got this sort of like the audience's you know, proxy element in the story. You know, she's kind of wild about being around these great people and great events, just like you are kind of witnessing it with her sort of thing. I'm explaining it to Jason because he hasn't watched it. I've, everybody else here has seen it. So, um, And uh, she and Tila have, have a friendship. And there are times when they, somebody will say something and they trade looks. And so the internet is going on and on about how Karen Smith is turning Tila into a lesbian and we have to have inclusion and everything. And I'm like, okay, so I had this thing in my head where I'm going, wait a minute. For some reason, though, this never hit me when I saw it that way and it feels right. Why is that? I go back and watch a couple episodes of the, of the original cartoon. First couple episodes of the original cartoon, in fact. They're available on, I think Stars has them. So they're all, if you have a Star subscription on Hulu or Amazon or anything, you can see them. And uh, it was a part of the formula. You would you would have characters in the animation who were standing there having a conversation. Somebody would say something that was seemingly meaningful, 
And then two of the other characters, usually like He-Man and Man-at-Arms, would look at each other. Yeah. Nonverbal communication. It's it was totally canonical. Part of it, it was just, and it was constant. It was it was like every scene. Sorry to go back a second, but Tila wasn't a lesbian? I, apparently some people don't think She so. could be, but it, it, we've never explored it. I'm not one to put a label on people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Give me a label gun and I'll get But started. this goes back to the very thing we're talking about. <laughs> this is an interesting world. We shape a labels. world. The book says to do one thing. If your group wants to do something different and everybody's on the same page, absolutely, do what you want to do. And even playing in Theros. Go where you want to go. Even even while we're playing in Theros, our rendition of Theros can be very much ours. You know, we are not the kind of group who looks at the book as the rule of everything. We can build on that world as much as we want to. Right. You know, in as much as I I am not um, immune to the idea of going, you know what? I don't like that god at all. Fuck that guy. Theros, you're out of here. And bring in somebody new. I like Ferex. And I would love to have muses around. I mean, Olivia Newton-John is a national treasure. And we might be able to fit her in there somehow, but no. I love (laughs) the fact that we got a Xanadu reference. Yeah, we did. I had to roller skate that one in. (sighs) Now just put a lampshade on it. Just a fantasy. Disco by. Disco by. I'm just repeating every joke you guys say, so it makes me sound like I'm part of the joke. I have no fucking clue. I've never seen Xanadu, and that's intentional. <laughs> I'd say oh. you don't know what you're missing, but... He doesn't know what he's missing. <laughs> I do. I've seen the play. I've been to at least it, three at least different least live one. versions. There's I, the movie. Honestly, I've heard the poem. I'm not... I, I, I don't have a problem with the idea. I've heard the song. I, I, have no, I, I don't have a problem with the idea. I... Uh, have very specific reasons why I never did, and I will talk about them, but not on the air. Ah, got it. Fair so, enough. Uh, because they're 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 a little more personal and you know BS. I get that, but I have movies. Santa like do, that. Santa don't. Time to go. But back it's to not a, it's not anything against the show. I I, I have no issue with that. Uh, and it, it not probably appropriate for Exposition Street, though. I don't think that's the kind of show we want to do. So. No, no, I, I don't think no. that's. I don't think that's going to be Geek Fair, unless somebody gets on feedback at prismaticsunami.com. <laughs> you don't need to, though, honestly. Tells us we, we don't need we to really hear should. anything about that. That's not yeah, necessary. If there was a fan-driven letter-writing campaign. But, but we don't need one. It's, we're good without it. feedback at Prismatic Tsunami. Or if you have, actually, a more interesting movie choice, I'll, I'll <laughs> listen to those as well. <laughs> or if you I'll don't want us to do Xanadu, give us better ideas. <sighs> that's not hard. So, Expo Street at prismaticsunami.com. No, it isn't. It's, it's feedback. It's just feedback. I'm not making separate emails for every show. I don't have to. I'm just selling them what show we're talking about. You know, you Expo can make Street. email aliases and have them all go to the same box, right? What's that? You yeah, can make email like, aliases. Richard, you're like pulling back the curtain now. Come on. Stop I live that. behind the curtain. Meanwhile, I want to see sunlight again, Eric. <laughs> No. <laughs> Stay there. Uh, That's where the toast comes from. <laughs> so what do you guys feel? Uh, h- how do you guys feel about you know, the creating characters in a mythic era? And what makes it different? When What do you do differently approating it? Because you guys recently killed with backstories for characters. Well, and stuff. I, that was the thing. When I created my current character, uh, I created a satyr. I had this interesting thing of wanting to do a monk and i'm like okay how am i going to build a lawful class and a chaotic creature into a thing and i started putting together stories well i also had to think 
if the deities are involved and I'm a hero that's touched by the deities, that they have moved my pawn onto the field to do something specifically that the gods want to do because they love to tinker. Um, Metal. How am I going to make this work? And then I came up with some interesting stories about how, yes, I was born a satyr. I grew up in chaos. One of my values is that everybody should dance and enjoy life and listen to the music and dance to the beat of reality and and be joyful. People should be joyful at all times. I feel that that's what people should be doing. But I live a very muted life of structure and uh, law, basically, because I study my monk skills because I am on a quest that I have been driven to by the deities. How far that gets worked into the plot of the story we're in, it'll be interesting to see. It's interesting, I think, to note that the visual of a satyr monk was actually tough to wrap my head around. I, I jumped peeking straight out from the robes. I was going to say, I jumped straight to hoof prints all over people's faces. Personally. <laughs> well, the way they walk to the head, the way they walk, it's hard. Nah, to, nah. It's hard to imagine them doing the spinning back kicks and stuff. That we used to think. That's terrible. Terrible. Um, uh, I mean, I don't struggle with that at all, but what's, what's the term? Anyway, I, I fought, I watched more a guy a Kung Fu fight with a cow. So. Pivoting back kick because my leg just kind of goes that way. Well, that aside from that though, I thought the character concept was balls out red. I b- b- balls <laughs> Seder. Put the balls I, back I, in. I, yeah, I'm a Seder. I can't help myself. <laughs> uh, sorry. The uh, back to naked gaming. <laughs> well, I <laughs> thought it was a thing. The uh, for you, Richard, it is. <laughs> we are such a tolerant people. The, uh, the 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 concept though of a character who at their core and I I find it interesting that you immediately describe it or, or probably think of it in terms of law versus chaos because that's a very profoundly D and D idiom right but well. um, I immediately think of it more in terms of you described it afterwards where it's like I am a person who is driven by my very nature um, to seek. Uh, well, now the word chaos jumps into him. That's not it, you know. To to see to seek joy and indulgement, and you know, uh, to to embrace life and it's not a very be very hedonistic lifestyle. Yeah, the satyr uh, kind of representing that mythologically. You I know? deny it to myself because I have to stay centered so I can face the fights and make the decision I need to fate make that the gods have put in my head. But much like the minotaurs that aren't all living in their own little labyrinths, although psychologically speaking, that does make them an interesting race. Uh, you. The satyr that is it's applied as a player character race in, um, say, D&D, in the myth- Mythic Odysseys of Theros book that we're using, assumes a certain autonomy that doesn't limit them to that. Right. So you have to decide as a player how much to bank on that, obviously. Right. Because Vanessa's playing a bard who is very much embracing the, I'm doing this about pleasure and I am singing my joy every minute of the day. Right. And, and Which is great. Every step along the path. And it's kind of cool. It's the one of the better examples I've ever seen Every of two morning. people playing characters that are the same niche kind Every of, have a similar niche kind of core, but have taken it completely opposite directions in, in a really fun way. Because when I heard I was going to have two satyrs in the group, I was like, come on, guys. All hail Dionysus. Oh, wrong, wrong chain. <laughs> and I, all I did was sit back and realize that I needed to count my blessings and recognize that I didn't have five satyrs in the group. So I was probably doing better than I thought. Uh, I haven't was, made my character yet. We would hoof it. Yeah, you did. Did I? Yeah, lion guy. 
I, I guess we started the idea. I didn't put anything on paper. The lion guy is not the one that says snarf, right? Snarf. No, well, he just did. Um, Wait, <laughs> are you playing Leonidas? Leonidas. <laughs> Wait, the swelling of the cat? I am now. <laughs> well, as the group's only human. Was it a good day to die? It's going to be a good day to die. That's, that's kind of my thinking. Yes, but at least he'll be fighting in the shade. <laughs> oh. Wow. Ball, balls out rad. So <laughs> I I do love that idea though. And it and again it kind of plays on the traditional Seder concept, but it doesn't limit your character in any way. It plays on that. It plays on the fact that I am apparently part of the hero's quest and I've been driven to it by birth. But I also love the fact that you you created an inherent internal conflict for the character that gives you something to play with. It, and gives it, you something to play with. Oh, everything gives me something to play with. Rich, you showed up naked. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't what we meant. I apologize for anyone whose consent I did not fully have before showing up. I'm just saying, man, you're all about giving us things to play with. <laughs> My wife invited you back this week. So, um, <laughs> never a dull moment. Uh, but that wasn't necessarily in itself different or specific to a mythological game. I mean, the concept you were working with was, though. The Seder concept, obviously, for Greek Yeah, it's myth. definitely a fresh idea in an active space. And but I'm still following basic tropes of conflict by being different from my society, but still believing in the same values as my society. The uh, and, and we remember we talked about... Um, and, and again, it was on the last episode, but we talked about this kind of focus on racial demographics as being so pigeonholed, like uh, in the very same way that we that, that we are as a, a woke culture kind of not as happy with black-skinned elves all being evil, you know, as an assumption, or orcs for that matter. Green-skinned. The, uh, it's, you know, sentient species. Then how are we Wait, comfortable with the idea that... Orcs. Yeah. Well, and then you said technically, sentient. Technically, they have above like a six intelligence. So the, uh, the then you also would extend that, would you not, to the idea that satyrs are by their nature a you know wild and chaotic people. Somewhere in a forest in a copse of trees, there's a small band of satyrs who make their lives as accountants for the local village. Done. So uh, I I want. <laughs> And, and and I want to kind of be – I'm not worried about being sensitive to that. That's what the cultural discussion is right now is about being sensitive to that sort of thing. You know, uh, um, Salvatore's next Drist novel is is famously going to involve illuminating that the drow as a species are not evil. It's just the drow community that serve the spider queen that are that way. But there are other drow that are actually inherently good people. Illustrae is my friend. Right. But those but aren't the ones that, that you that get sent something completely new. Those, those are not the characters. Those are not the drow that you get sent into Underdark dark to face. And the reason that's the case, Jason, a kid, is because um, Illustrae is a primary example of a, trying to attract the exception to the rule. It's about the drow running from the evils of the Spider Queen to a god who cares for them and will support them. And so they're a small community compared to the drow of Samens or Berenzen. The idea here, though, is that the, that we ever created an idiom or an expectation where a race was indigenously an alignment, you know, or, or a character personification, like all dwarves are greedy, elves are flighty, dark elves are wicked. 
You know, it's weird. Now that I think about it, I've never played a greedy dwarf. I've never played a flighty elf, and I've never played an evil drow. You never played a you played a lot of dwarves. I don't know about that. That's a bit. I of have talk, played but... a lot of dwarves, but I have never played a greedy dwarf. Interesting. But when you play them, are you playing them as exception to the rule? I don't even think about the rule. No. I think about the character. You know the expectation might be that. Now, and greedy is kind of a – I mean it's not it's not one now, that always I've, carries into the game. I've played a dour dwarf. Right. I, I can't say I violated that <laughs> Dwarves one. Are traditionally dour. But That's there not is, necessarily true. <laughs> there is still the thing that when you play a quote-unquote good drow – you are essentially playing a character who is defined by the fact that they are good, <laughs> good. Yeah. because we know that the stereotype, and it's not a mandate, it's a stereotype, is that they are evil because the large number that the people have to deal with are the ones working for the, the Spider Queen. I was, was going to say, Morden wasn't necessarily good either. He was kind of... Your Dark Elf character, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of... Uh, Wasn't he a paladin? Betweener. Um, no, he was a cavalier. Oh, okay. Ah. So, uh, the... So paladin uh, wannabe. No, no, he saw them as two very different things. The idea that, that gives me trouble isn't actually any of those things. It's the, uh, the push for, the push against any kind of black and white constructs for, um, sentient races because having an opposition that is clear gives you license in a fantasy game to treat it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you run into kobolds in most worlds, you know that those kobolds are inherently dangerous. You don't and, have to yeah. spend five or ten minutes talking to your XP <laughs> to figure out whether or not you can kill them. Just because they are kobolds, you know you can take them out. In the old days, if you ran against a band of drow, you didn't have to have a debate on whether or not this was going to be a possibly good encounter. It wasn't. Which is the type of thinking modern society wants to get away from going, oh, well, these people are this type of people. They're automatically bad. We have the rights to be mean to them. And and we've talked about the fact that in like, like, and of course, I mean, Lord of the Rings was written a very long time ago and, and didn't have a lot of the kind of the social constructs we're talking about. They were very different at the time. You know, right. they're, they're, it's it's notable that in the Lord of the Rings, uh, in, in Middle Earth, the human people that sided with Sauron were dark skinned. Tolkien was an English World War One vet. I mean, he 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 wasn't exactly cognizant of equality in the races or anything like that during that time period. He the may other not even have been thinking about it along the terms of race anyway. Right, but the because orcs, it was just part of his natural worldview, just it was part of everyone's natural worldview at that point. And the orcs were constructed. They weren't somebody who who had mamas. They were made by somebody. They were made by Sauron. They were the Urukai were made by Saruman. They were constructed to be vile, killing, evil powerhouses. You know, uh, made it easy. You know, you know, icky creatures beneath the ground. But there was still inherent racism. I mean, the elves and the dwarves hated each other. You know, and they were presumably goodish peoples. <laughs> still, like the interesting thought of uh, the upcoming uh, Wheel of Time series could potentially oh. at some point have a good Trolloc. I doubt that, but I, I don't see it happening. But it's that it, same type of Trollocs is another good example because they're they are a created race. Yeah, and if anything, they show even less promise of being sentient, sentient yeah. in the works. I mean, that's one of the things that Rich and I are talking about in the story that seem to have some degree of reasonable that say a thing or something, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, that's that's a far cry from. But the half men. 
Well, and a lot of some of those are converted other creatures into evil, and we and that is a game that is a, a, a setting in which magic has the power to completely corrupt, mm-hmm. you know, to to just destroy free will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's something you got to consider. Is that is that is evil that is constructed to be evil and has to be treated as such. That doesn't mean you can't pity the person who is affected. It doesn't mean you can't decide you want to try and save them if that's plausible. But I mean, it does mean that it is there and intended to be inherent. The interesting thing there is the conflicts between people in the wheel of the conflicts between you know organizations in the wheel of time are cultural and i mean not necessarily ethnic i guess but but definitely cultural definitely. and in some cases i mean like religious Socio-culture. like religious ish because there's no overt a religion in the wheel of time which i think is Except actually the white cloaks exactly what i was thinking of but but even then they you know, technically they it's like it's like factions that all serve the same god but have very different ideas about mm-hmm. how to do it you know, the the children of the light are all about serving the light. Well, so is everybody else. They just don't do it the way the white cloaks want you to. So, you know. Well, and they're, that's more a comment on fanaticism than Zealots, anything else. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and that's powerful and always has been. But a lot of the other conflicts are between cultures who have their own mores. And class warfare mm-hmm. is a huge thing in the setting. But so is the gender divide. Speaking of class, a class warfare, yeah, and the gender divide, and I don't even... I mean, that literally goes to the heart of the I, source of power. I can't even decide how comfortable I am with that nowadays, because yeah. the entire concept of the one power, and mind you, Jordan started writing these books in the 90s, but the enti- okay. entire concept of the one power and the way it is divided between men and women the belies... Of, the source of magic is gendered. I mean... Yeah, belies the, the, the modern sensibility of... Um, non-fluid or you know for fluid genders and and non-binary people we have no non-binary power (laughs) you know it's just it's just not now it's either Satan or although the true power is the male and the female Sidene and Sidar together but the true, true power was just directly from the dark one. Yeah, I've, I, I kind of had it's, that impression. But it was both. And it, but I have. That's what gets well, they both, splittered into they both Sidar tapped, and Sidon. No, they both tapped the true power, but the one power does not come from okay. from, from mm-hmm. Shaitan. It was a separate power source. I'm pretty confident. We have got to it's start a, a podcast. We have got to start a podcast to discuss this shit before the show comes out. Oh, man. Or as the show comes out. They're talking about dropping the new God. show. The, the one Wheel more of Time. I need to start reading. Wheel of Time TV series is going to is gonna uh, start in November on Amazon, and they're talking about dropping it episode at a time instead of, instead of bingeable. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. For. Which I think it would be fun to do a show every week after the episode. And the three of us, you know, Jason hasn't been part of this conversation for the last five minutes. The three of us are the only people I know who are, that, who are, who are involved in our podcast group that are Wheel of Time fanatics. So... Yeah, the other people I know are in other states altogether. Altered states? Some of them in a state of um, confusion. I, I want to say we'd want to start it before the show comes out, though. We'll, we'll talk. Kind of get, kind of set it up. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And I don't know how, I, I can't decide how fresh I want my take of the books to be. Like if I want to go back and start doing some reading beforehand. Because I kind of want to let the show stand on its own, right? And the more details I have shoved into my head about it, the more I might sit there and focus on the differences. So I, I can't decide. But I so go check my Kindle because I don't want to lug books around. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I've got like the. Uh, I think I've got like a little more than half the series on Kindle. I got them all in hardback, but they're in storage right now. Anyway, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Anyway, that's not helping. Um, <laughs> Although I would love to play a wheel time game. That, I was just going to say that actually, and that's something I think I would uh, wouldn't mind doing this next season. Maybe after the mythic uh, the mythic game runs a runs its course a bit. But um, 
I don't know necessarily. The, the other question I have that is really poignant, I think, regarding gaming in a mythic era is the campaign, the, the, the adventure material itself needs to somehow reflect that idiom. So I wouldn't try to say run regular D and D adventures for a Theros campaign. Right. Where I mean, even if you even if you stripped out the races that didn't make sense and replaced them with stuff that presumably did, it just doesn't feel the same at all. But what is the? I mean, just even with just like the Greek mythology we're dealing with, what is the um, what is the rule? You know, where where do you pull the inspiration? Obvious, the obvious answer is from mythology. Is from the stories of Greek mythology, the uh, the trials of, of Heracles or the 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 voyage of Ulysses or Odysseus, <laughs> Ulysses, Roman, um, Odysseus, or you know the the the, uh, the Jason and the Argonauts, or you know Bellerophon or Perseus or any of these you know Greco-Roman stories that were evolved evolved around those myth those myths. Yeah, because I'm expecting something similar to the Xena and Hercules. And <laughs> Maybe that's where I should be looking for inspiration. Should I be watching old old Hercules no. and Xena shows? <laughs> that adventure. I don't know if I can, manage, I don't know if I can make. You're going on an epic. Although, what's really made me sad is I just realized if we have one human in the party, you know when the bards go back and write the stories of our tales, it will be that human is the heroes, and the rest of us are all the companions. Congratulations, kid. I, I was planning ahead. I was all over that from the get-go. So, uh, which character's and name? I'm the rogue. <laughs> which character's name? Do you remember? Uh, Androthesis. Oh, yeah. He's got a st- stupid long name. Uh, and- Androthesis or something like that? Or Andro... The- Andro the- the- anyway. I was going to say him and the Argonauts instead of Jason Argonauts is what we get. So, you guys are going, going after the uh, golden um, 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 uh, jacket. Theseus and, no, uh, <laughs> and the I Think Nots. <laughs> the I Think Nots. <laughs> I, I just need to find a way to take cues from mythological stories. No cue. No cue. You know what I meant? No but cue. not... He's going to be the next series of I part. don't want to face the, the next board. generation was not, not a first level mythological <laughs> content. Some of it. <laughs> the cue episodes, mostly. <laughs> take my no, cues you're, from you're mythology. about the lore. But I don't want to... No, lore was a completely <laughs> different problem. Fortunately, they were never in the same episode. Lore was just corrupted data. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. That was so so good. I but I don't I can't tell the same stories, you know? I mean, well, I mean, do we you really totally need can, do we need a Minotaur and a Labyrinth? I mean, do we need uh oh. to battle Medusas and Chimeras? Is that really the point? I've got creating- to add loose cotton to my character sheet. So you can stuff it in your ears. Yeah, you guys might go to sea too, so that might be appropriate. I and I do have all those creatures from you know mythology to pull from, most of which have already been up as been written up as standard D and D creatures over the uh, centuries that D and D has been out. Oh, freaking harpies! Ugh. Uh, yeah. Yep. But the gods have a lot to do with everything, right? So your characters are largely god touched. You know, they are heroes chosen by the gods to do to be part of this this great story, this great tale. And the gods are a dysfunctional mess. Yeah, which is what makes it fun. Yes. So, all right. So it's just, it's a lot to pull from, but there's not a lot of guidance on how to pull it, I guess. So I'm having trouble coming up with really great ideas. And I'm hoping your character's motives will provide inspiration for that. Uh, one of the interesting things from the source book we're using is the fact that people have, again, touched by the gods, have some sort of divine 
ability. Uh, supernatural gifts. And the one I ended up taking that gave me that that touch where I was building that on, I've been talked to my whole life by the deities and guided to the point where I'm heading to now on this grand quest of my life, which is my life, is the fact that the uh, not only do the, the gods sometimes talk to me and I have these, these inspirations, but be, my character has the ability for deities to talk through me, which will give me a bit of a headache for a while, which automatically gives you as the GM a way for a deity to come in and talk to the party or anyone who's around my character. I love that idea. And uh, it even says very clearly in the book that you could do it directly where the deity says their words, I'm just the vessel. Right. Or the deity gives me the information and I spin it out uh, as a compulsion type thing. Yeah. I can see some different ways to play with it too. Um, I think that it would make the most sense uh, for story consistency to kind of decide on approach and then go with it. And you hadn't written up anything specific, I think, in your character's backstory about that relationship yet. But you talked about it anyway. No, I just know that in my dreams I keep seeing the same ancient machinery that I know I, I have to go to and I know I have to make a choice. And I have to decide if humanity's worth saving or not. That's nice. Yeah. This I'm kind of hoping to kill them all. Yeah. Better Nate than Lever. I would love to release what? Titans upon the Earth. That would be great. Whereas my character has one of the most classic and basic uh, premises you can get. He wants to know who his father is. And there's evidence that his father is someone or somehow different. Right. Again, uh, a really cool premise that I get to play with. Yes. I designed it that way deliberately. But because in neither of these situations are you guys providing me an idea of what your character's actions are going to be to achieve these goals. That's true. You know, you're, you're plotting it back in my hands. And every time you punt it back to me, you're not actually answering the question. Not answering the question. Well, that's at the moment, it's kind of hard to predict how that's going to go, of course, because we've all been driven by these various uh, omens, mm-hmm. signs, portents towards a common end, which, you know, you got to get it's the party together somehow. What got us together to begin a common with. end? You did the end thing? No, end. 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 Sorry. No, no. The bar <laughs> took us to an end. We, anyways. They did the end thing on their own. Um, by the way, just to point out, as far it, as it judging humanity and whether one. they're worth saving, when the bard's playing happy music and nobody's dancing, kind of not looking good for humanity. <laughs> no, actually, I started the game on the road outside of a town in the queue waiting to get in. With a dead guy on a horse. Well, that's how, yeah, action started. Started with action, but you know, one of those things. Um, it was a great cold open. So the, the, the there's, a, I want to find a way to more collaboratively build this campaign. So getting an idea of your character's drives and how they will pursue them. You know, I, I, I went ahead and used some, to, to break the ice and kind of get us into the game, I used um, a, a basic mechanism by which to drive you guys to the same place. And I decided that you were there and then even told you explicitly, you are there, the why and the what you're going to do with that is kind of up to you guys. Mm -hmm. Here's what kind of drove you there or what this might mean to you. But after that, it's up to you. Now, you guys did pretty good in the first session of taking that and, and kind of going somewhere with it, checking things out, you know, investigating a lead or something. 
But even then, that was specific to the stuff I'd given you, mostly. You know, it was like, oh, we ran into this thing at the gate, and now we're going to follow up on that, and that leads us somewhere, and that does another thing. Yeah, if we had not walked away with that guy's mask, we would have nowhere to go at this point. Um, so what I did was, and for those of you who have access to the Mythic Odysseys of Theros uh, sourcebook for D&D 5th edition, you can find this in there. There is a starting adventure that I'm going ahead and riffing off of to start the campaign. It gave me a good starting point. I just needed a way to kind of get things rolling, get people together. And it didn't in any way invalidate my overarching concept. But got to figure out how to get there. Now, so I want you guys to think on this moving forward. Yeah. You know, how, how can your characters help drive story? One of the things uh, that I was thinking with my character, and we had kind of talked about it before the game got started, is that... Right now, the problem he's dealing with is he doesn't have a direction. He knows what he wants, but he doesn't know how to achieve it. The only person he knows who knew who his father was was his mother, and she's no longer available as a source of information. So unless some other avenue presents itself, I'm kind of left with, you know, he always has the option to try and go into the underworld and find his mother and learn the information from her directly. Did you know that your mother was a Leonin version of Brick? I'm joking. I was going to say, did Brick? <laughs> Just make a well. reference to Jason's character that he wrote up. Since he hasn't come into the game yet, you know. But no, his mother was not Leonin. She was human. I'm not a half-lion man-man. Technically, if you're a quarter-lion, you're still technically human. But and I'm not. A little weird-looking. Um, so I... Just a lot of Beautiful hair. hair. I like that. It, it's, something to, it's something we're good. I mean, it still provides... It's still... It, it's so still weird. <laughs> I mean, one of us um, or together, we have to come up with a way that that information... I don't want to say becomes accessible, but right. um, becomes accessible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that this is a very personal motivation. So there has to be a reason why the other player characters will share in that. Right. Otherwise, or it's how it airing off to go look for his father. Ends up tying into the bigger mm-hmm. story, which is what ideally we want to do with a campaign. So Now, I say on my part, I'm sp- I know I'm supposed to be following signs and portents, and I know I need to start interpreting signs and portents, some of which may be right and some of which may be wrong, but they're supposed to lead me to a place and a thing eventually. So maybe I need to work more on on that, making sure I'm, I'm doing the reading, making sure I'm declaring and we also signs. Need, I was going to say, we also need to figure out what we're going to do with this guy. Snarf. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, if you have any advice for us, I'd, very, I'd be very interested in hearing it, especially if you have any experiences with mythic play and, and concepts that... Uh, that we could pull from as players and as a game master to help help design a, a cooler story. You know, um, interesting challenges or obstacles. Feel free to let us know. Uh, feedback at prismaticsunami.com is the best way to get a hold of us. And uh, if you know, if you like, I can read your letter on the air. Just go ahead. I use the word letter like that's a thing. <laughs> so read read send your email. Um, don't just write, are letters. Don't just write in and be like, read the Iliad. We've read it, okay. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not like I, I've absorbed a lot of Greek mythology when I was younger. I I know a lot of it really well. It isn't that I I lack a feel for what uh, is is out there. What I'm trying to decide is how best to create that sense with the tools available to me. And I, my brain has not ever delved into... I've never had an interest in running a, a game in the Grecian mythological 
world. Dude, I have a girlfriend. Yeah. It's just she's a tree this time of the year. <laughs> I had an interest in playing in it, but I didn't have so much an interest <laughs> in running it. And then there was even a, like a second edition splat book. Maybe I ought to look that up and see if I've still got a copy mm. of it somewhere. I remember it. Oh, uh, yeah. There was one for the green, the main, main soft cover. Yeah. yeah. The main uh, historical, mythological. There was some cool stuff. Cultures. And I, I remember I remember having it, I think, at one point and uh, kind of paging through it, but it never was, again, never something. But, I mean, it probably might, might have some great campaign ideas, too. And the the Mythic Odysseys book has a lot of good material. So and, and I saw a lot of starting yeah. points I didn't want to read too deeply into. Well, you know, one thing that's been missing from this game so far that has a massive amount of influence clothing. in this culture is olives. Oh, oh yeah. that. Well, here, and then there's, you mentioned clothing. There's the other thing, and Kid made a passing mention to it earlier in the podcast, but uh, if you're going to do <laughs> a note to the writers, if you're going to do a, myth, a, a Grecian mythological port oh, God, that's of right. Dungeons & Dragons, Maybe consider a chapter that outlines gear that's Even appropriate a portion to the of a chapter. especially Heck, armor. a couple of pages. Give us something. Weapons and armor. Uh, yeah, we, we had to kind of stop and consider when you know, one player had a rapier on their character sheet. And we're all like, wait a minute. Now we're getting, you know, if we could have we could have at some level ignored constructs like longsword without thinking about it too hard, even though those would still be not appropriate to Anachronistic. the era. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the gods. but but a rapier, a rapier is very Renaissance and feel. Mm-hmm. The whole style you know? doesn't exist as a fighting style. It, it wouldn't make sense. It, it, it kind of breaks it a little bit. So then we started thinking in terms of what do we need to what do we need to change here? And it's not like you can offer a lot of new things. You end up having to limit things, mm-hmm. and that's because the the foundation of D anD D is built on the premise of being able to offer a conglomerate sort of grounding groundwork from the bronze age up through the renaissance without having to you know change anything right right but now but that we're, we're dealing not up to with the a bronze age society yeah yeah changes things a tad whips work you know so i mean there's things that make a Where lot of there's sense there's a whip there's, there's a, a way. way there's things that make a lot of sense there's things that uh will will not so we'll, we'll need to kind of watch for that and that wasn't the only thing was a musical instrument was another one mm-hmm. we had to kind of go on about a little bit because we had a bard in the group and hey i'm still mad i couldn't get bagpipes i'm not neither <laughs> is anyone else i got a pan flute i'm a satyr i uh <laughs> does it get any more archetypical was it brian who played a um, bard once whose in- instrument was an alphorn yes our friend brian played an alphorn yes he was also the Ricola. he was also the player with the misty tint he was a, no he was a jester the misty tint guy was the um well he was the player with the misty tint different yes. character yeah um I yeah remember gosh. him for his odd contrivances <laughs> weird dude uh, so he's been on the show a couple times, been a while. He's been on the show before. He was, he was a B team guy for a while with, um, John and Ken and did some shows with him. So, you know, he's got a lot of D and D history. It has been playing. What a nice though, so. fellow he is. I keep thinking I should invite him to, you know, get in on some of the games we got going now, but our groups are big yeah. again. And I kind of don't want to call me fat. I'd love to play with them again, though. Well, I have seen a lot of you lately, Richard. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> I, I am big in the community. <laughs> <laughs> rather large as it were sorry about that <laughs> and my wife still invited you back so uh <laughs> hey i i've got a big thing for jonica feedback <laughs> <laughs> i have not feedback at prismatic that's feedback at prismatic thank you very much for joining us for episode 258 i don't know why you did 
Metagamers Anonymous. We're getting out of here for today. Uh, everybody have a fantastic week. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm the kid. <laughs>